that we visited on our trip to the Holy Land was the ancient city of Jericho. Now, Jericho is considered to be the oldest continually inhabited city in the world, as well as the oldest city in the world. It's also thought to be the lowest city in the world because it sits at about 850 feet below sea level. Now, Jericho is situated on the edge of a desert. It's surrounded by rocky terrain, and it springs up as a natural oasis. In fact, the Bible refers to Jericho as the city of date palms. Jericho is figured prominently throughout Scripture. Jericho is the first place that the Hebrew people encountered when they crossed over the Jordan River and entered into the Promised Land. It was also the place that David's army, King David's army, after one battle where they had been defeated and the enemy wanted to really humiliate them and he shaved off all the beards of the fighting men. And so David sent word to the army to stay in Jericho until your beards grow back and then you can come home. Jericho was also a place where the prophets Elijah and Elisha would go to visit and minister. And Jesus would take the disciples to Jericho and Jesus performed miracles there. Jesus would meet Zacchaeus, the tax collector of Jericho. And Jesus would talk about Jericho in his story of the Good Samaritan. Well, we went to visit Jericho, and we were able to see part of the archaeological dig and remnants of where over 20 civilizations had been. Jericho, the ancient city, had been built and conquered and rebuilt over 20 different times. And so we were able to see part of that site. Because we were there around noontime, our guide had arranged for us to eat at a local restaurant there owned by a family that lived in Jericho. Now, Jericho's population was Palestinian Christian and largely Palestinian Muslim. And the Palestinian Muslim family that owned this restaurant and the gift shop were very good friends with our guide, who was an Israeli Jewish man. And here we were, a busload of American Christians. We got off the tour bus, and when we were there, the owner of the restaurant, this uh, family man, he was Muslim, invited Reverend Josh Attaway. He invited our tour guide, invited myself and my husband Chris and our two children, Brooks and Hannah, to lunch in a private dining room that we could all visit one another. And I have to tell you that there were plenty of differences. We were eating in kind of a different setting, and the food was strange to me. It was not well known, uh, although I have to say it was very delicious. And we were with people that other than Josh and my family were still just a little bit more than strangers to me. And yet, here in this foreign place, I felt at home. And that was in large part because of the friendship of this Palestinian Muslim man with our Israeli Jewish guide and the hospitality they showed to us, the kindness, the graciousness. I felt surrounded by God's presence. Here I was, almost 7,000 miles away from my house, and yet I felt right at home. 
This morning, we're going to conclude this sermon series, The Lord is My Shepherd. We've been looking at the 23rd Psalm in a new way. We've been wanting to get more of the nuances and the richness of meaning that's found in this scripture. Sometimes we miss it because we read it through 21st century eyes. And we live in a western part of the world, and it's very different from the author of this text. And so we want to kind of look at it like an archaeological site, and we want to dig for treasures that help to tell the story. And so we've been looking at the theme of 23rd Psalm, and that is that God is present with us, and that all we would ever need in life is found in God. That God is there to provide for our basic needs. God is there to guide us, to comfort us, to protect us. And that we can be sure that nothing in this life or the next will ever separate us from the love of God. Now, today's scripture is the last verse of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this particular phrase has a couple words that I think it's important that we look at right off the bat to help us get an understanding not just of this verse, but the entire 23rd Psalm. It says, Surely goodness and mercy. Now, many times our English language fails to capture the nuances of the original text. And here, the two words that are most often translated as goodness and mercy can't really get the incredible meaning of the Hebrew words. The Hebrew for these two words are tov and chesed. Now, those who went on the trip to the Holy Land might be familiar with the word tov because we were taught how to say good morning in Hebrew, boker tov. But Tov is a word that doesn't just mean good or goodness as a kind of a simple adjective. Actually, tov means goodness personified, the embodiment of goodness, which is the presence of God in our lives. So goodness takes on this three-dimensional presence of God meaning for us. Now, the other word in this phrase that is translated as mercy is chesed, Now, this is a very complicated word that's used, one word, to describe our relationship with God. And so it's easiest to look at this word as a coin with two sides. On one side of the coin is our relationship with God, our commitment to faithfulness in our covenant relationship with God our attempt to do our very best to love God to the best of our ability. On the other side of the coin is God's faithfulness to us and God's everlasting love for us. But because God is God and we are human, God's part of the relationship also includes mercy and forgiveness because there are times that we fall short in the relationship. There are times that we are broken and wounded, and sometimes we make mistakes. And and so God's love and God's faithfulness covers for the times that we fall short. God fills in the gaps that we might leave in the relationship. 
And so here's these two words that are far richer than we actually get in just hearing goodness and mercy. It's goodness personified, the presence of God and the relationship we have with God. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's this concept, God's embodiment, God's goodness, and God's relationship with us that can help us to feel at home wherever we are and no matter the circumstances we may face in life, God is present with us. I think there are three important things to discuss this morning that can help us to feel at home with God. And the first is to consider this, this phrase, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now, again, in this phrase, we have another word, follow. Goodness and mercy follow me. Now, the word for follow is, again, it's a translation issue. What we've done is kind of made it a more passive expression. But the Hebrew text here is more dynamic. It's more personal. The word is better translated to pursue. Surely goodness and mercy pursue me all the days of my life. Do you hear the difference? Surely God's presence and goodness, surely God's relationship with us will pursue me all the days of my life. Now, there's a richness there. We talk about being with God and God pursuing us. For this, the last several weeks, we've talked about shepherds and sheep and some of the differences in shepherding around the world. In the Middle East, the shepherd leads the sheep forward. But in many other parts of the world, the shepherd will drive the sheep. The shepherd will actually walk behind with a large stick and kind of prod and, and strike the sheep to get them to where he wants them to go. But in this part of the Middle East where the psalm was written, the shepherd leads the sheep. And each shepherd has a unique call that is known by the sheep. The sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd and they follow him. Now, if you can imagine this, if the shepherd is out in front of the sheep leading them home for the night, you can see that the sheep at the back of the line are vulnerable. They're vulnerable to attack from a predator that might be stalking them, pursuing them. Now, who are the sheep at the back of the flock, the end of the line? Probably the sheep that may have kind of wandered off and are just now kind of catching back up, or the sheep that are wounded or broken or sick. And those are the most vulnerable. And the psalmist is saying you aren't pursued by a predator. It's the presence of God that's pursuing you from behind. And so the image of this is the good shepherd in front and this presence, this goodness and mercy behind. What it's saying is that we are surrounded by God's goodness and mercy. When we flew into Tel Aviv, Israel, I almost right from the start felt the presence of God, especially in the hospitality of the people who worked for our tour company. We were met at baggage claim by a woman who was there waiting for us, and as soon as we had gathered together all of our baggage, 
she led us outside and introduced us to a couple who was from the United States. And they worked for the tour company and they were there simply to act as a hospitality couple to welcome us when we arrived. They introduced us to our bus driver, Rafi, and, and to, or excuse me, our tour guide, Rafi, and our bus driver, Khalil, who loaded up all of our luggage on the coach bus. And then he proceeded to drive us to Tiberias, uh, which is located on the Sea of Galilee, and to our hotel for the evening. Now, I think everybody was really excited that first day because the next morning I saw lots of people up really early taking pictures at the, the crack of dawn, watching the sun come up over the Sea of Galilee. We had breakfast together, and then we were taken to a boat, a boat that was going to give us a tour of the Sea of Galilee. Now, it's such a humbling experience for me. I remember thinking that so much of the Galilee region is still rural farmland, And so looking out on the kind of the terrain and the landscape, you're seeing the same valleys and hills that Jesus looked upon. And that was particularly moving for me. But we got on this boat that was owned by a Christian family, and they were very gracious. We had a time of reading the Bible and a a worship service. But there came a time where they kind of directed us out to the middle of the Sea of Galilee and they cut off the engines. And we sat there for a moment, for a few minutes actually, enjoying the silence. And I have to tell you that all the conditions were just perfect. It was a lovely morning. It was warm, but it wasn't too hot. The temperature was just right. And it was sunny and bright. We could see all around the Sea of Galilee, all the shoreline. And here we were with our friends and our family of faith. After a while, this family started playing music and we sang the hymns of our faith tradition. It was an incredible, moving experience. And in that time, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, I felt the presence of God surrounding us on all sides. There will be times in our life that we have those kind of moments that everything lines up and it feels so wonderful. And we feel God's warmth and love surrounding us. When the seas are calm and the weather's bright and sunny. But there will be other times of our lives when we pass through darkness and struggles. And it seems like it's always storming and it's hard to see God's love surrounding us. This past week, I received a phone call from a member of our family of faith. You may remember me sharing the story of Stan and Dana Holden with you. Stan's wife, Dana, passed away last fall after a long, hard fight with cancer. And she left behind so many friends and family who love her dearly and miss her terribly, especially her husband, Stan, and their teenage daughter, Hallie. A loss like Dana's death is a tremendous one in anyone's life, and especially for a husband and a daughter. And Stan and Hallie have felt this this hole in their life, and and yet they are strong people, wonderful in faith, and and have a, a deep connection with their family. But 
for a long time. You can understand anyone who has that type of loss in their life, there's almost a sense of disconnectedness, that things aren't making sense and, and what is normal anymore. Well, over the months, Stan and Hallie would begin to engage in the normalcy of life again. But even engaging in life presents those moments where you start to have a flood of emotions back, where you think, oh, they would have loved doing this. And then in an instant, you're reminded of the grief and the loss and the sadness, and maybe even you feel anger or guilt. Well, over time, Stan and Hallie had been invited to go on a cruise, a large cruise ship, and they were going with their friends, and they went on this cruise a little over a month ago and had a great time with their friends. But there came a moment on the cruise ship that Stan thought to himself, Dana would have loved this. And just in a moment that all those different kind of emotions come flooding back and Stan decided he, he spent some time with his friend, and they were out walking, and his friend happened to be wearing an Oklahoma City Thunder t-shirt. And as they were out, another man on the, sh- the cruise ship came up to them and said, well, are you all from Oklahoma? And Stan's friend said, well, yes. And this man said, well, I'm from Tulsa, and my wife and I are on this cruise ship. We're celebrating her graduation And so they had some small talk for a while, and after a few minutes, this man's wife came up to meet him, and she introduced herself to Stan and his friend. Her name is Laura. And she told them that she had graduated from a program at OCU. And Stan said, well, do you know this particular woman? And he named someone, and she said, well, yes, I was in class with her. And Stan said, well, This woman was a dear, dear friend of my wife, and my wife passed away several months ago. And all of a sudden, Laura said, I know who you are. I've been praying for you all this time. Here's a grace moment. Because in this big cruise ship, Stan told me he didn't think he saw her or her husband the rest of the time because that's how large and how many people were there But there in the middle of the ocean was a moment that he could be reminded that even when he might not see it, he's surrounded by God's goodness and mercy. In our darkest moments, in the storms of life, there will be times that it doesn't feel like God's love is around us. But it doesn't mean that it's not present. Here in just a moment, Stan had encountered a glimpse into God's work in his life. And he got the incredible gift of seeing this woman he had no idea was praying for him and his daughter and family all this time. What an incredible gift. We are always surrounded by God's goodness and mercy. Second, it's important for us to Consider what it means to dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, the house of the Lord is not a physical location, but rather a spiritual relationship. Far too often here in Oklahoma, we've seen people on the news reports on television that have survived a storm but have lost their house. And inevitably, they seem to all say the same thing. They're devastated. Of course, they're devastated by the loss of their house. 
But the fact is that everything that really matters to them is that their family survived. And it's almost like they're saying the house was destroyed, but the home is intact. There's a song that my daughter loves, and she particularly loves one verse of this song. And it goes, home is wherever I'm with you. Home is wherever we're with God. Home is when we are with God, in the presence of God. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to be in Wichita, Kansas. I had been there for a few days, attending the South Central Jurisdiction Conference. We saw three bishops elected, and there was a worship service in honor of the two retiring bishops, one of whom is our own Bishop Hayes. And I had the chance to hear from our new bishop who will be coming in September, Bishop James Nunn. He spoke to a group of people from Oklahoma yesterday morning. And he was telling a little bit about himself. And he shared that the theme verse of his life is the passage of Scripture when Abraham spe- or God speaks to Abraham and says, Go to the land I will show you, and I will be with you. And he said that that's very similar to the Great Commission where Jesus tells the disciples, go out into the world, making disciples in my name, and lo, I will be with you always. And he said that this home of God, to be with God, is to go out into the world and do the work of God, to be with God in ministry. Now, many people refer to the church as the house of God the house of the Lord. And that's true when it, when it is considering us. We have a lovely church building, but if heaven forbid, if there was ever such a storm as to take down this building, the church would continue. We would all continue in ministry because the home, the house of the Lord, the church is our connection with one another and with God. And we continue on. We follow God out into the world. One of the stories I read recently was particularly moving, given all the things that we've heard. There is a young girl. Her name is Samaya McLaughlin. She just celebrated her ninth birthday in Detroit at the beginning of this month. Now, Samaya is African-American, and she has experienced firsthand what racism feels like in her city. She's seen it on television, in the news reports. And as a pastor, as a mother, I can't imagine what that's like for any person to consider that there are people in the world that are going to judge you by your skin color. Especially a young child, how does it shape their formative years? And yet Samaya seems to be of a different, of a, an incredible strength within her. Her mother has raised her loving God and loving her daughter. And Samaya has this incredible awareness of who she is and who God is in her life. She understands that she resides with God wherever she is. She's been watching the news reports that all of us have been seeing And yet when it came to the news reports of the shootings in Dallas, when the five police officers were killed, she felt called to follow God into the world and do something that she could do there in her 
area of the world. And so she took the money that she received from her birthday and she went down to the local police station and bought lunch for all of the police officers. She wanted them to know that she cared for them. Here's this nine-year-old girl who understands that to be at home with God is to go and follow God in ministry in the world and to minister wherever you are. And third, I think it's good for us to consider the phrase, all of my days and forever. In the book, The Good Shepherd, author Kenneth Bailey talks about the 23rd Psalm. He talks about it in great detail, and when he comes to the final verse, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he pays particular attention to the the element of time that's in this verse, that there are two phrases, all the days of my life and forever. And Bailey says, well, this begs the question, is this the time of the psalmist, of the one who's writing the psalm, or is this referring to the time of God? And Bailey says that because of the construction of the sentence and because of the Hebrew behind it, he believes that it's both, that this refers to both, that when the psalmist says that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, he's referring to his own humanity, his days on earth. And then when he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he's referring to the time frame of God, this divine eternity. And so that the psalmist understands that he is living with God and serving and following God all the days of his life on earth and into the hereafter. One of the stories that I came across recently was the, the story about Justo Galega Martinez. He lives just outside of Madrid, Spain. And when he was a young man, he was raised in a very devout Christian household. His family was of the Catholic tradition, and as he grew up, he felt a calling to give his life to God. And so when he became of age, he entered into a monastery And after several years, his health declined to the point that he contracted tuberculosis, and he was forced to leave for his sake and for the sake of the other monks. He returned home, and his parents had passed away and left him this large uh, tract of farmland, but he was devastated. He wanted to live in the house of the Lord. He wanted to serve God, and he, he felt like his dream had been taken away from him, And so he decided that he would build a house for the Lord. And so he started work on a cathedral. He envisioned it as a place where people would gather and sing praise to God and and come into direct connection with God's love for them. That's been over 50 years ago that he started. And now at 90 years old, he still gets up every morning at 6 a.m., and puts in a 10-hour day building this cathedral for God. He does this six days a week. Um, He takes off on Sundays so he can go to Mass. But he has largely done all of the work by himself. 
Now, he's constructed a cathedral with this huge dome based after a lot of, modeled after a lot of the basilicas. And this dome stretches more than 130 feet in the air, and it's more than 40 feet in diameter. The buildings he's constructed so far are this cathedral and the great hall and a library and several chapels and offices. It spans more than 80,000 square feet, and he's not done. Now, as I was reading this article, and he said that he knew he wouldn't be able to finish it in his lifetime because it's only two-thirds finished, and he's 90, and so he feels like the odds are it won't be done when he passes on. And I thought, how sad is that? How sad that he won't see this to completion. And then I happened across a, a biography, a documentary of his life, and I was always watching it. I heard him speak, and he started talking about, he knows he won't be finished with it, and he was at complete peace with that idea. He felt that he had given most of the days of his life to building on the house of the Lord, and when he entered into eternity, it would be passed on for someone else to continue building and developing. And I thought... His goal was never to finish a project. His goal was to follow the Lord and to build on the kingdom. There has been a steady stream of people since the beginning of the Bible, since the beginning of time, who've been following the good shepherd out into the world to go where they are sent and to be in ministry And their goal has never been to complete this kingdom. It has never been completed. They continue to build on this kingdom, this house of the Lord, and they pass it on to the next generation and the next so that all might be able to recognize that they're surrounded by the goodness and mercy of God. And so that someday all would have the complete assurance of God's love in their life, And be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.